0: Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Uh, fasten your seat belts, you're in for a treat today uh-huh. as we hear from our chancellor, Dr. Bill Jones. Uh, thank you, Dr. Rogers, thank you. And, and thank you to my sweetheart. Uh, Friday we were m- celebrated our 44th wedding anniversary, so <laughs> 44 years and four days today. So, and thank you, worship team. I, I always I always appreciate so much the worship. And thank you, Dr. Chrisman. Is, is he? Aha, uh-huh. Dr. Chrisman, our acting president in the back. Uh, I often call him Doctor. Crusher. And the reason I do that is three and a half years ago when he came to Columbia International University, I asked if he would like to help me minister to businessmen downtown through Bible studies. And so we became partners downtown. It's been almost four years now. And so because I'd been with these men for a while, I would I would tend to be the teacher, but when I was out of town, which is often Dr. Christman would take my place. When I get back in town, I would call up a couple of the guys and I'd go, How did it go while I was gone? And every single time they said, He crushed it. So he just became known as Dr. Crusher. So thank you for crushing Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 last week at the President's Chapel. Really appreciate that we would trust in the Lord with all of our might, not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him and let Him direct our paths. Thank you. Well, I've just returned from preaching in Florida. It's where I actually, the church where I proposed to my sweetie over there. We were—I was just out of college. I was two and a half years old in the Lord. Went down to this church to be the youth minister. It was a huge church. We had 10 full-time youth workers. It was an exciting church. We saw hundreds of kids come to Christ. But when I first got down there, I I wanted to be usable. I wanted, I I didn't want anything to be blocking God moving in and through my life as we ministered to other, other people, these students in particular. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, is there anything in the way? And He brought back the time when I was 10 years old in fifth grade. I was the head of a major crime syndicate. And every day after school, I would walk home and I would stop by, it was an old chain called Magic Market. And then across the street was 7 Eleven. I would stop at each store and steal one. Do you remember those pink bubblegum cigars? Are they still around? It's been a long time since I've smoked. So (laughs) I would steal one from Magic Market and one from 7-Eleven, take them home. The next day I would take them back to school, and I had a friend in fifth grade named Philip Wilson. He loved those things. And he would pay me a dollar for each one. I had zero cost of goods, you business students. I had zero cost of goods. I was selling them for a dollar a piece. I was hauling in the money for a 10-year-old. I finally repented of my ways, and I quit doing that. I think we probably went to different schools after fifth grade. Otherwise, I would have kept selling them. So I'm sitting there in church, and my conscience started bothering me. I said, well, God, I, I don't want there to be anything inside of me, so I'm going to make this right. So the next Sunday when the offering plate went across, I put 10 extra dollars in the offering plate thinking, that'll make me and God even. I mean, after all, you know, they only cost a nickel. So that'd be 20 per dollar. that'd be 200 cigars. I, I know I didn't make you know, 200 dollars off of Philip, but I, I, so counting interest, that ought to cover it. So I put the and I remember preaching this just a couple weekends ago. I'm up on the podium. I look over there. It was like this third row in. That was where I was sitting. Offering went, plate went by. I put my 10 dollars in. It got like to two people down, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, saying, nice try. But that doesn't cut it. So I ended up writing letters, formal letters, and signing them, and giving my address so they could come back and get me. And I enclosed $10 to the Magic Market and $10 to 7-Eleven, mailed it off. I said, I was a thief that caused your sales to go down. And in, in, uh, when I was 10 years old in fifth grade, they never contacted me. The police never showed up. So I had a clear conscience. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. And we're in a series. I'm in my own personal series. Not in here. It's my own personal series. I want to preach because when I preach, I do a lot more studying. And I want to preach on my favorite 316 verses. So just to review, last year, about this time, maybe in the spring, I spoke on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures inspired by God and prophet for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17 that the man, the woman of God, may be adequate equipped for every good work. And I talked about getting a grip on God's Word and said if you really want to get a grip on God's Word, there are five fingers that will help you hold on to the infallible, inerrant Word of God. The weakest finger is hearing. The next finger is reading. A stronger finger is studying. A very strong finger is memorizing. But if you don't meditate, you can't keep a grip on the Scripture. And then just in November, spoke on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, and that says that it's part of a prayer that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Do you remember the illustration there? Not out of His riches, and we gave a little crumb of our chocolate chip cookies. Remember those? But according to His riches, and the whole platter of chocolate chip cookies. That's according, that He would grant you according to His riches that you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man. Well, this morning, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. And this verse says this, and it exhorts us. Peter exhorts us, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. And keep a good conscience, so in the things in which you are slandered, the things in which they slander you according to your behavior, they may be put to shame. That was pretty... Sorry, quotation. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior, they may be put to shame. So, as tends to be our habit, let's take key words and let's play them out and see what we can learn and apply to our lives from this verse. First word, and keep a good conscience. Keep a good conscience. What is, Is our conscience. The best way I can describe it, how many of you own a car? Okay, have you ever had one of the lights show up on your dash that wasn't supposed to light up? Okay, they're called warning lights, it means something's wrong. Sometimes they're called, who knows the other word? Idiot lights. Now now why do you call them idiot lights? Because you've been foolish if you haven't taken care of your car, and you've been foolish. In other words, you've been an idiot, and and this light is saying something's wrong. So your engine is, is under the hood. You can't see it. There's a dash there. There's a hood on top. You can't see your engine. So you don't really know what's going on unless the warning light pops up and says, it needs, it needs water. You need to put water in your radiator. Or your battery, it's going down. You need to recharge your battery. Or more often than not, I didn't have a warning light come on, but it does say in my car, it's getting so, you know, the cars are getting so advanced, it says, hey, Bill, you need to fill it with oil soon. He's just giving me a head start because it doesn't want to embarrass me by saying, Hey, fool, you didn't put oil in your car. Which reminds me, Dr. Rogers, I think you were here at the time. One of the students, the warning light came on and said, Oil, it needs oil. So the student went and bought a quart of oil, opened the gas can, I mean, the gas uh, knob, poured the oil into the gas. And then a lot of other lights came on. So we can't see what God's doing inside of us. And so to help us know when things aren't right, a warning light will come on. And that's our conscience. And it says, hey, something's not quite right. You need to open up the hood, look inside, and see what you can do to make things right. Now... Over the years, so when I was a a, a new Christian, I'm thinking, I don't want any sin underneath the hood because I want God to use me. But I've learned over the years there's something much better than just being usable for ministry. God's purpose is, He's not so concerned what we can do for Him. He's much more concerned what He can do in us. And when our conscience, the warning light of our conscience goes on, he's saying, I I want to deal with your sin, with your disobedience. But far more than that, I want to draw you deeper into fellowship with me. He wants to hold us tight. He wants to know how much he loves us. And when sin gets in the way, it's hard to have that closeness. And so, we just don't know. So, the warning light of our conscience comes on. You know, I have so many memories back at that church. I, I served there six and a half years. And one of the times I was there, I mean, it was early on my conscience started bothering me about cheating in college. Now, I didn't, go really, I didn't go to a college, I went to an institute. Most people go to colleges, you know, I went to an institute, Georgia Institute of Technology, Georgia Tech. You didn't, if you can add, you did pretty well there. So, Before we graduated, I'm I'm telling the absolute truth here. Not that I haven't been telling you the truth, but I'm still telling you the truth. We had to, every student had to pass an exam showing that you could read and write. I learned in the first grade how to read and write. And I was was indignant. It was a spring day. And spring in Atlanta, they're wonderful. And, and I was ready to graduate. And so we had to sit in this big auditorium and take this simple test. It took about an hour to prove we could read and write. I said, "This is not right. So I had two friends, one on either side. And I said, listen, can you read and write? Yes. Can you read and write? Yes. I can read and write. Here's what we do. You do section A. I'll do section B. You do section C. And then... You give me C, I'll call up the answers, we'll fill them out. You give me A, I'll call up the answers, we'll fill them out. And then I'll I'll call you what I, tell you what I did on section B. We get out of here real fast. They said, this is a brilliant idea. So that's what we did. So 20 minutes later, we take our exams. I said, listen, you go first and I'll kind of wait a minute. And then you wait a minute and you come. So we're not all three just marching up there. So we marched up, turn in our test. They said, you can read and write. I went, Good, we're out of here. So I get down to Florida and the warning light went on. And I was like, it was just to show if we could read or write, stayed on. It's just not right, stayed on. I got my 71 Nova, Chevrolet Nova, drove 10 hours back to Atlanta. I didn't know who to talk to us, so I went to the head of the chemistry department, Dr. Bertrand, who was, I was a chemistry major. And I said, I cheated. He goes, you? I said, yes, sir. And I told him, he kind of snickered, but he kept a, kept a fairly straight face. And he said, you're working with students now? Yes, sir. At a church? Yes, sir. He said, tell you what we'll do. We'll call it even if you just tell students, don't cheat. Deal. Got my car, drove 10 hours, back to Florida. Now, please don't think, don't look at me at the cafeteria and go, that's that no good thieving cheat over there. (laughs) You know, it sounds silly, doesn't it? And even now, I'm kind of a little peeved at them that they would make me prove I can read or write. But there's a little bit deeper fellowship between me and God. And he says, I don't want anything to be in the way, not just so I can use you to minister to others, but so we can be drawn closer to ourselves. What's the next word? So keep a good conscience. Keep a good conscience. Now, here's my definition of what a good conscience is. It's, it's. I've kind of based it on Acts chapter twenty four verse sixteen. And this and this is Luke writing, but he's quoting Paul. And the apostle Paul says, "And in view of this, I do my best to maintain a blameless conscience, both before God and before man." Peter says, "Keep a good conscience," and 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 Paul says. I want to maintain a blameless conscience, so, so here's, here's my definition. For any known, and, 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 and the warning light will come on, for any known offense before God or before a man, here's three parts of my definition. I take personal responsibility, second, by sincerely, third, asking forgiveness. Whether it's to God, or to my roommate, or to my sweetheart, or to my fellow professors. I ask forgiveness. Now by taking responsibility, why do I say that? Because our tendency is to blame somebody else. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam said, Eve made me eat the fruit, Eve said the devil made me eat the fruit. We have our Old Testament professors over here, Exodus chapter 32. Talks about the golden calf. Remember that? And and Moses is missing for a while, so the people say, hey, Aaron, make us a god. That'd be neat if we could just go around making gods, wouldn't it? Okay, yeah, I'll make you a god. I need all your gold earrings and rings. And so he takes a little tool, he fashions a god, a little golden calf. He heats it up. Now they have this god, and they're worshiping it. Moses comes back and he says, what on earth are you doing? What does Aaron say? Hey, it wasn't my fault. I took, first the people made me do it. And I took their gold. I threw it in the fire. This is New American Standard. And poof, out jumps a golden calf. Can you believe it, Moses? Moses. So our sometimes they're just hilarious, blaming on others. But by sincerely, there has to be a sense of remorse. It has to come from the heart. It's not like when you were a kid and you get in trouble with your, with one of your siblings and and you're fussing and fighting. Your mother comes and says, "You tell them you're sorry." And with a monotone voice, eyebrows furrowed, you go, "I'm sorry." (laughs) Translation. When mother leaves, I'm going to beat your brains out. <laughs> there is no remorse. As a matter of fact, this is looking more revengeful than rather than remorseful. But then we ask forgiveness because we're trying to restore the relationship between us and God and us and others. Which brings me to DeAndre. Stand up, DeAndre. Now. He really didn't have to stand up. He was so big we just kind of look out there and spot him. All right, and you may sit down. I just wanted the new students to recognize who the culprit is here. Last chapel in November, we're up here, and I just happened to mention that DeAndre tried to run over me in the alumni parking lot. But I, I had no witness. And he kept going. Remember this? Do you remember this move? He goes. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember it. He should have been going to himself, not to me. But we had no witness, so it was like, well, he said, you said. Last week, he tried to run over me again. (laughs) But this time, I have a witness. Bryce Scarborough, where are you? Stand up, please. Ah, uh, wave, wave, go like this. At, did he try to run over me? Yes, okay. <laughs> I will make sure that course grade is exactly what you want it to be. So DeAndre. Um, Just keep listening. All right, number three, and keep a a good conscience. So how do we keep a good? That means we can actually lose a good conscience. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Watch this. Our fellowship with God is very closely related to our conscience before God. Right, our fellowship with God is very closely related to our conscience before God. Now often when I share the gospel downtown, Pastor Andre, thank you so much for that introduction, but you took some of my time. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was being serious, but anyway. So, <laughs> so when I'm sharing the gospel, a lot of times men are, are unwilling to cross over to a right relationship with God because they say, well, well what if I sin again? And here's what I explain. Let me, let's look first at our fellowship before God. And this is, um, I'm going to go fairly quickly. I explain that this cross here, is the cross of Jesus. And on your left side is before the person is crossed over. And on your right side is after the person is crossed over into a real personal relationship with Christ. So so they're born again. On this side, when I sin, it's it's a legal proposition. And, And what I have done I have offended legally. I've broken the law, God's law, and I'm standing before God, the judge. Does that make sense? And I stand condemned. I stand guilty. But I tell these men, once they cross over, they are still going to sin, right? You sin. I sin. DeAndre sins a lot. This is just, just, you know, just <laughs> so, or at least regularly in the alumni parking lot. So, <laughs> so now it, it's not a legal proposition, it's a relational proposition. And I haven't broken the law so much as I've broken, I haven't broken God's law so much as I've broken God's heart. Does that make sense? He loves me, and when I do wrong, it hurts him. And I'm not not breaking the heart of the judge, I'm breaking the heart of my heavenly Father. So over here, before I I cross over, there is no relationship with God, and there is no fellowship, closeness with God. I I am married, relationship, 44 years and four days today. but when I'm ugly, there's not the closeness. I'm still married, but it's just not the closeness. But over here, when I cross over, there's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever relationship, but there's not always the fellowship. If there's unconfessed sin, there's not the closeness. Well, how does the conscience work in that? Well, over here on this side of the cross, my conscience is convicted. But when I cross over, my conscience is clear. It's good. It's blameless, at least initially. And if I sin, I lose my good conscience. So, How do I regain it? So fellowship, sin breaks fellowship. Sin sets off the warning lights. The warning lights is what gets my attention to deal with something deeper so I can get it right before God, get drawn closer in that deep love fellowship with God, and then if He wants to, He can use me. So, how do we keep a good conscience? And I say this at least once a year because it's so important. Nine powerful words. I was wrong. I take personal responsibility. I am sorry. I'm being sincere about the remorse in my heart. And please forgive me. I'm asking forgiveness. And then I love to add three more words. Oh, I love you so much. Or. I love you so much. Or I'm sorry I called you out for the introduction. No, I'm here really, that's not real. (laughs) Mama, I told him I was sorry, so. So let's finish up. So that. Why is keeping a good conscience important? Well, when First Peter's written, they're, they're suffering a lot. there's persecution. And so he says, "You know, these folks that are persecuting you, if you keep a good conscience, they're going to be put to shame ultimately. But we don't deal in that kind of culture, at least to the degree that the readers at that time dealt with it. But keeping a good conscience, it, it, it really affects our relationship with God. And last, last week, it was last week, I was reading in Jeremiah and Lamentations, and I got to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 44, and it says, it says Jeremiah says, there's like a cloud surrounding you, and my prayer is not getting through. That immediately reminded me of Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. 18. If I regard any iniquity in my heart, the Lord is not here. And then I thought of Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. It says, my iniquities has put a separation between me and my God, and my sin has hidden His face from me, so He doesn't hear. If, we don't, if the warning light is on, our conscience is bothering us, we've lost a good conscience, we need to ask forgiveness. And when we do, ah, Isaiah forty three, verse twenty five. Here's the warning light Isaiah forty three, twenty five says, He wipes away our sin. With the blood of Jesus. Micah seven nineteen says, I love this. I've been wanting to do this all week long. He just treads. That's more stomping, but you get the point. I mean He treads upon our sins. Then it says, and He — sorry guys — and he, ca- he cast it into the sea. And then Isaiah 38, 17 says, and He turns His back. Whereas Isaiah 59, 2, He turns His face. I go up to Debbie, I want to kiss her, and she goes, oh, that'd crush me, right? But it's no longer turning his face on us, he's turning his face on our sin. Does that make sense? Isn't that good? And then Jeremiah 31, 34 says, and he remembers it no more. The omniscient God of heaven has a forgetter and he forgets our confessed sin in response to the warning light of our conscience flashing. It also impacts not just our relationship with God, but each other, and unfortunately we tend, people tend to be a little less forgiving. That's okay, you confess, that's your responsibility. Their responsibility is forgive, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to confess. A question. Is the light going on? That says, hey, look underneath the hood. There's something not right. If you really love Jesus, you want that deep fellowship restored. And you will drive 30 hours and look like a fool if that's what it takes to draw closer before God, before man, and keep a good conscience. Let's pray. Father God... Would you let there be a spirit all over campus of people freely, fully, sincerely asking forgiveness? Lord, may we draw closer to you and closer to each other.